for December 9th, 2019. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 597. Capitalism is the real parasite. Meh. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we are pulling off a convoluted heist, uh, a long con, where we infiltrate another podcast and gradually replace all of their support staff uh, with ourselves. Mild spoiler there, but uh, let's uh, let's sound the spoiler horn. Um, that's a thing on other podcasts, isn't it? Let's let's ring the spoiler bell. Let's uh, put up the spoiler fireworks and the neon spoiler sign to say that we are going to talk about uh, a film where there are some surprises in it, and that film is a Parasite by Bong Joon Ho. Uh, the um, the the latest release um, that is in limited release right now, but is such an interesting film and kind of in keeping of our theme this year that we started over the summer of really focusing on movies that we are interested in and like and want to see rather than just what happens to be uh, big in the multiplex this this weekend. We decided to focus on this film. I'm Matt Rather. I am joined by my uh, criminal by my my criminal associates, Mr. Matt. Matthew Belinky. Hello, Matt. Just FYI, I'm stealing your Wi-Fi right now by hiding in my bathroom. <laughs> Good. The password is one, two, three, four, five. Uh, Mr. Peter Fenzel. Hello, Pete. Hey, Matt. I don't know if you've noticed, but some of the people around you may have polio. I'm just saying. I'm just saying they might have polio. That's all. I'm just making a making an observation. Oh my God. And uh, Mark Lee. Hello, Mark. Uh, I'm happy to be here, but just boy, I heads up. I'm folding pizza boxes for money while we're recording this podcast because I'm a little hard up for cash right now, you guys. <laughs> no joke. I'm I'm putting uh, IKEA furniture together, <laughs> not for money. All right, so guys, I didn't want to see Parasite, and I really was against doing it on the podcast. Uh, I'm going to tell you why. Just like Pete didn't want to see Life of Pi uh, because he did not want to see a boy in a boat get eaten by a tiger. Is is that accurate pete yes i was convinced that that was inevitably how the movie ended <laughs> i was uh i was familiar with bong joon ho's work uh he he came to to prominence i guess or or one of his big breakthrough successes though this was not an english language film was a horror movie called the host uh he made Snowpiercer, which is you know a sci-fi movie that has some gross elements in it. And then he made Okja, which is a, a full-on sci-fi movie, which includes scenes inside a slaughterhouse. And I, uh, I did not want to see Parasite, which I was sure was a, like, uh, a film about a genetically engineered or alien or whatever sci-fi symbiote that uh, took over its host spot, not a symbiote, a parasite, that, that infiltrated, entered, took over its host's body, uh, used a up all the resources and ended up in some like some body horror in some like the thing style you know 
gross out, jump scare, scary movie. I did not want to see a movie about a literal biological parasite eating its host alive from the inside in graphic detail. Um, which is exactly what this film was. And how dare you, uh, how dare you, you know, subject me to it? I mean, Blinks, did you think that this film was something, something other than what it turned out to be, which is a, uh, kind of a biting social satire and, uh, almost like heist long, like oceans, oceans, where, where shall we say? Oh, in in the realm of Oceans eight through thirteen, where would you put this movie? Oceans I was, four. I was a hundred percent waiting for this sort of sci-fi twist because I'm a big fan of the host, which is a straight-up creature feature. Uh, Okja has a giant. Was it like a guinea pig of some kind? An actual pig? A it's super. A, it's pig. a giant special effect or something. I mean, Snowpiercer doesn't have like a like an animal, but it is sort of like a fantastical world. Um, in which like physics doesn't quite work in the same way. So I was, and, and I assiduously avoided trailers for this one because everyone, one of the early things I heard about it is like, I can't tell you anything about this movie, but I a hundred percent was thinking that the parasite was going to take the form of some kind of animal, some kind of disease. And it was going to be some kind of a body horror thing. And it took me a long way through the movie. And I don't think it was until they were having like sort of pigging out and, and in the living room and drinking all the expensive whiskey that I was just like wait a second these guys are the parasites <laughs> i was expecting a foray into the dc animated universe right where superman's most underrated villain in his purple skin tight outfit would be uh grabbing people's faces and stealing their powers but i was destined to be disappointed destined as it were i wasn't expecting that sort of horror i was uh at the worst case expecting something uh, along the lines of like uh, another um uh, examples of recent standout korean cinema like old boy right the um that kind of like straight up uh, very disturbing horror kind of thing but uh but presently surprised that it wasn't that there were some insanely tense moments in this though right that um uh though not scary were nerve-wracking uh the most easily the one of the most nerve-wracking experiences i've had in a movie theater so i was greatly appreciative of that were they Insanely tense, or were they intensely sane? Oh, maybe uh, both. Or, but, or but should we, both. But should, since Blinky brought this up, should we talk about who the parasites are? What well, parasites yeah, I mean, are? like, what, what exactly, what is the parasite? I mean, the, the, the question, the obvious question, or the obvious sort of two reads, the obvious ambiguity is that, uh, you know, A, the parasites are the lower class people sort of sponging off and, and sort of siphoning money off through fraud. Right through lying about stuff uh, to um, uh, sponging off the the uh, their employers who who are to the film's credit not specifically monstrous um, or uh, or are the parasites the the upper class the the nouveau riche of of Korean society you know living on the living on the ruins of the the shattered twentieth century uh, industrial economy doesn't he doesn't the husband do something with VR or something like that I mean is the tech industry the the real parasite Hearing no comment, I'm going to assume everyone agrees with me. Okay, okay. I'll jump in. I wanted to give everybody a little bit of time because we have Matt isn't always on, and this is a Korean movie, which I know has affected Mark really strongly. But I'll say right now, uh, 
parasitism, right, is a form of symbiosis wherein one organism benefits at the expense of another organism. And I think that the title of the movie is supposed to be ironic and about how we look at the dependence that lower class people have or less. I I would even venture to say less well off people, because I think the question of the class in itself as sort of uh, interrogating that a little bit is, I think, important to getting to an understanding of the movie. I think in the end, in the end, is this is not like a straight up parable about poor people. This is a little bit there's a little bit of a different sort of axis, intersectional axis of uh, relation going on. Uh, but the idea is that you might look at somebody like the main characters of the movie Parasite, who, in case you haven't seen the movie and aren't quite following, are lower class Koreans who adopt false identities in order to infiltrate the life of a fancy family as their servants. And then over time, look for ways to kind of scam them and take advantage of them, only to get double crossed by a separate group of people doing the same thing uh, who live in a secret bunker underground. So so that's the general gist is that it's competing fraudsters and exploiters uh, who are kind of living living off the largesse of the rich and but the rich are also living off the largesse of society and the notion that we would look upon a person who is dependent upon somebody else as a parasite as in you don't contribute to society we have a symbiotic relationship in which you live at my expense is a charge that is difficult to level at anybody when everybody is dependent on everybody else to some degree or another uh, parasitism is a kind of symbiosis but it is not the only kind of symbiosis and as such uh, you might even venture to say that the parasites in this movie are being misidentified as parasites. And, and there is an aspirational sense in this movie that we recognize that everybody is, in fact, a symbiote. Really, this is Venom 2. Uh, it's a symbiote movie, not a parasite. Although Venom 1 talks a lot about parasites. So it's a little bit of a that is a little bit um, not not in the sort of filmic tradition of it. But I think you know what I'm trying to say here, right, which is that the title of the movie is ironic because there is nobody in the movie who is not a parasite. And in that sense, if the whole society is only made up of parasites, well, then if the society has only value, any value at all, then that means that the people aren't really parasites because they are contributing because they make up the society, right? Because whatever value they produce by their survival then accrues collectively to whatever sort of value is being realized by the existence. In this case, perhaps you could say of the of the, the people of the Korean peninsula or you could say to a larger extent the human race. Although uh, I think the movie is more narrowly interested in Korea uh, and and is sort of secondarily interested in the broader human race, but but that is a separate question. So that that is my take, which is that that parasite here is a slur that is being uh, uh, disingenuously leveled uh, as a sort of thesis against the protagonists of the movie, and the movie represents an antithesis to the thesis. But. I, well, let me propose something that there's a there's yeah. a right way to parasite and there's a wrong way to parasite. Because <laughs> okay. w- one thing that 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 strikes me about this particular family is that they just keep pushing things farther and farther, like they're trying to get caught, right? Like in at, at one point in the movie, like right before everything sort of takes a left turn, um, and and literally the sort of door to hell opens in the basement, and they descend and and see what lies beneath the house. It's like they're eating all the, you know, they're drinking all the expensive scotch, they're eating all the expensive food, they're just like getting stains all over the couch, and it's like they're they're. It's oh, did that bother you they, too? It's just like the lack of cleanliness. Yeah, I know the lack of cleanliness, right? Also, they yeah, smelled. 
It's it's there's and and now compare that to the previous housekeeper who literally has her husband living in a house and gets away with it for years because she just takes the minimum that she you know she she keeps it under control and I'm thinking like it's the difference between like a parasite one of those parasites that lives between the teeth of the giant whale and just sort of eats the plankton between the teeth and can do that forever right that that relationship I guess that's not a parasite it's symbiosis and everything but I guess I'm just like. I, I suppose, like, if the parasite is not killing the host, is it is it is it then symbiosis? I guess if it doesn't contribute anything, I guess I need to I need to look at some some Wikipedia definitions. But I guess I'm just saying that like it seems like this family really wants to bleed the parks dry and actually is talking about a future in which like they can you know work out a wedding to the daughter, then take over the house, all move in, kick the parks out, and they're really not going to stop until they've killed off the host. So they're that kind of parasite, as opposed to the parasite that just takes a little bit indefinitely. And I don't know, I don't know if the movie is saying that one is good and the other is like, you know, now you've ruined everything by being too greedy. Well, so here's my take on this, right? So yes, absolutely. The main family that we see, like they are being portrayed as too greedy, right? They they absolutely overreach, and you could say that the um the, the original couple, right, the, the 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 maid and the husband living underneath, right, they are doing it the quote unquote right way or least least risky way, but like that's kind of the trap that this movie lures you into, right? Which is that like oh maybe this is like in some way acceptable, but then like when you stop and think about it, like no, that's not acceptable either. None of this is right. This is just like utter madness and like despicable exploitation of human beings all around. And I, that I think is like primarily what the movie is going to. Oh. I mean, I mean, I would, yeah, I would good take a lot, look at it more along those lines, but yeah, Matt, go ahead. I, in a way, aren't we all, aren't we all the parasite? Yes. Um, uh-huh. Yes, absolutely. We are. <laughs> I mean, uh, one, one, no, sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I guess like what, yeah, I, I I really like this movie. I appreciated so much about this movie. Like I walked out of this like practically pumping my fist in the air. Like a I got through a whole thing without like one body horror jump scare, without like one alien chest burster, uh, you know, type of jump scare. Though you know some of the stuff in the some of the stuff in the door to hell in the basement is is you know literally was uh, a little tense. But like I don't know, it wasn't the kind of gross out stuff that I, re- I really can't stand. Um, but also just because like. I I just I loved the way that this movie didn't pull a lot of punches. You know, the the um the specific way in which the upper class family was awful. Um they they were and they were awful. They were they were terrible. Like the the horrible way in which they talk about the smell, the husband and wife talk about the smell of the the people on the subway, the sort of indulgence of the children without any like um you know sense of fellow feeling or you know shared humanity with their employees the the you know the 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 uh, what the driver is humiliated by wearing a uh, wearing a feathered headdress and like participating in a demeaning way in the child's birthday party and he's like just think of this as part of your work or the the husband the husband is like they you know the help can't cross the line but they're they're it's low key it's soft it's like it's it's a, a sort of soft bigotry it's a soft classism that just you know is really really well calibrated and and you know to to me was sort of hilarious and the way the the um 
the lower class family who we have a lot of sympathy for are also venal and gross and uh you know not not sort of saintly victims of of capitalist oppression right like how how the ways in which the bad things about them are not are not soft pedaled. Like I, I appreciated that so much because it made for a much more rich and a much more complicated and much more sort of interesting to, to, um, to experience kind, kind of movie. But like, to me, the, like the, the difference in the, the difference in the, the, the parasiting, right. Um, if you want to talk about a right and a wrong way to parasite or, or if the movie has like a good and a bad way to parasite has to do with the, the, the parasitical posture, right. Um, whether, whether you are a kind of an over parasite, you know, on the couch, up sleeping upstairs, you know, in a house that is sort of set above, like at the top of a hill, up some stairs, you know, built up off the ground, uh, set above, or whether you're a parasite from down below, literally in the sewer, or like pressed down, you know, underneath the ground in the semi basement, underneath the coffee table where you where you can't move lest your your uh, overlord see you, uh, underneath in the in the bunk you know in in the basement so whether you're like an over parasite or an under uh under parasite and and this this sort of strikes strikes me as as what the film is positing is like a correct way of uh, a more correct way anyway of kind of reading the social organization rather than parasitism per se yeah i so i have never actually seen an episode of downton abbey but i imagine that this is kind of what it's like it's exactly it's exactly like <laughs> so that poor the, poor mr abbey moment of a parasite well uh, this reminds me of the scene from downton abbey the movie where thomas comes up after being asked to uh prepare the goose liver and then he stabs the king of england in the chest and yells respect respect uh, and then falls into a bloody heap on the ground <laughs> No, it's a little different from Downton Abbey in general tone. It's like minorly, minorly different. Sorry. Matt, what was your question? <laughs> um, so not you guys like, always talk like, about the, the Downton Abbey moment, right? It's like this mm-hmm. little moment of symbolism that sort of unlocks the whole era. Yeah, so, I'll tell I you know. what the Downton Abbey moment of the movie is, in my opinion. And you guys can can uh, can can come up with other ideas because it's a highly symbolic and highly intellectualized movie. So there are probably a lot of scenes that could serve as the Downton Abbey movement. But for me, the Downton Abbey moment in this movie was when uh, the vagrant or just the drunk guy is peeing in the alley outside of the house. So this is, I think, it's like a rule of three. There's like three different dude peeing on their house scenes. And this is, I think, the second one where the dude is peeing on the side of the apartment, right? And they all the people who live in the apartment feel very degraded by this. They don't want to see it. And so this time, though, the kid uh, who goes by Kevin, right, uh, goes outside with a bottle of water. And he flinging bottled water at the peeing guy while the peeing guy is peeing on him, right? Uh, I think it might even be raining a little bit, but then the dad comes out and jump dumps a giant bucket of water on both of them in slow motion. And the metaphor here is that it doesn't matter what the, which is pee and which is bottled water. You are throwing it at each other, right? Like it all gets intermingled into a piss fight just because you have the bottled water and somebody else has the pee and just because they're peeing on you and you're not peeing on them the whole thing is just a big old mess of piss 
And the way that the the camera just sort of like slowly goes how through that it, whole thing. How does it taste, Captain? How does it taste? <laughs> oh, that's a deep cut right there. Uh, I mean, there's the, there's also the whole thing about uh, fumigating the stink bugs, but that's kind of more specifically about Mr. Kim's story arc, right? Where it's like, no, 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 no. I hate the stink bugs. Let's let the fumigation come into our home because I hate the stink bugs and they deserve to die. And so my whole family is going to breathe poison. It's the same general idea, which is this idea that like there needs to be that we all live together, but there's one group of us that needs to suffer. And in order for that one group to suffer, we're all going to suffer. Uh, and, and at that point, we realize the folly of prioritizing making that group suffer because it didn't accomplish anything. And then we all just sit in poison. Um, I mean, that, that was that would be my take of, of the two, two of the Downton Abbey moments that stick out to me. I don't know, Mark, did you see any Downton Abbey moments in this movie? Um, I'll, you'll have to get back to me on that. But just to expand on uh, the visual aspect of that of the piss fight scene that yeah, you just yeah, yeah. briefly just touched on, right? Just on the visual <laughs> aspect of the piss fight scene. Yeah, yes. no, it's, it's symbolic. It's it, it, the, the, the symbolism extends out and that, like, it's such a beautiful thing to watch, right? It, it, but it is underneath, it is a, it is this, the horrific acts um, uh, uh, being perpetrated by people against each other. And yet it's just like, you know, you, it, it is so appealing to the eye um, and the beauty of the whole thing just kind of like overtakes you. Um, and that, it extends out to the rest of the movie, right? Especially with the home. Can we talk about the home for a second? Like the physical environment where most of this takes place. Oh, it was um, done by the famous architect. Oh yes. And, and also just to uh, drop a bit of trivia and then and toss it, toss it out to the rest of you guys. Um, that was not an actual house um, in South Korea. It was a set purpose built uh, for this movie, which when you stop and think about it, like how carefully composed this movie is like <laughs> that makes a ton of sense. Um, but like the house, right? Like, it's isolated. It's beautiful. Um, and like, it's what can we say? It's like the like thin veneer of politeness and constructedness um, that papers over um, all the terrible things that people do to each other inside of the house. Yeah, it's a transformative space, right, where people go in there and they behave a certain way. I mean, this is a movie where identity is not essentialist. It's performed. Right. Like there's there's a performative yes. element to people's identity, especially in the space of a house. Whereas if you if you act the right way, you can live the right way. Although then there's the question of like, but you don't smell the right way. So maybe it is essentialist. And there's this sort of like idea of whether you can pass or change and this mutability of uh, of class that exists in the house. Um, I, I, I notice every time they went into up the stairs, right? When you go up the stairs into the house, the camera went through this very strange kind of focal length oscillation where everything kind of got disorienting and kind of this sort of sweeping dolly zoom crane shot or something like that happened. I don't know the specific, maybe even a digital technique was being used to change the uh, field of the field of view, depth of field while you were looking at the house. But it definitely seemed like you're almost in another dimension. Uh, from the area outside that there's this sort of special thing that's happening for sure. Definitely. I mean, definitely a lot of sort of depth of field jokes in this movie or, or that sort of technique where like something in the foreground is not the focus of the shot where you would expect it to be with, you know, with more paint by numbers style, you know, uh, uh, 
multiplex cin- cinematography and that like this was you know focusing on something deeper in the frame or you know in a, at a deeper plane and like the general generally the theme of kind of misprison right the the theme of like seeing like of something of like uh getting it wrong uh in terms of like what what you're focusing on was you know g- came through the the cinematography as well as the um you know as well as as in the the themes and kind of the interactions and the plot plot of the movie i i didn't know the film was a set i thought the 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 house was a set i thought they had maybe just really done really good location scouting but i love that like another thing i noticed about this film is that 80 percent of the important stuff took place in the house right and that like it was almost a play and the idea of it being a set that's constructed as sort of a stage set like is um is really beautiful given given the theme of of how identity and how sort of social role is uh is performed you know and and um yeah well, we're talking, we're talking about physical space and um and also about uh passing uh, for for one identity to another, it makes me think of all things My Fair Lady, um, which by and large takes place in Professor Higgins' home, right? Um, but has this whole other dimension to it, and uh, we might talk about this later because um, I think Blinks wants to get in on, on something. But um, this is like really notable, and like uh, it, in My Fair Lady, it's like such a huge obstacle for um, Eliza Doolittle to get over, right? With between her accent and her mannerisms and her lack of knowledge about the broader society and things like that. Like it's this huge accomplishment to pass her off. Um, whereas in, in this particular instance, right? They, they kind of, as soon as they're in the door, they're good. Um, because for the, some cultural and specific things, which we might get into later, but, uh, Blinky, you wanted to get in earlier. I think. Oh yeah. Just one quick thing about the house is that, you know, it's, it's, on top of this hill, it might as well be on top of the world, right? We get the feeling that it could be like the very highest point in, in all of Korea. But what's interesting is that like instead of having this amazing view of the city below, it's this sort of walled off space. And it's like they've made this very purposeful choice to sort of like create a prison for themselves, which becomes like an actual prison in the at the very tragic ending. And it's this interesting decision where instead of like being open to the outside world, there's this sort of like desire to shut everything out. And, and it, 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 it contributes to that sense earlier where it's like once you pass through the portal, you might as well be in like a parallel dimension. Um, but just to build on what you just said, Mark, which I think is, is really interesting, is that like, yeah, there's this um, – you know, th- yeah, there's a sense that, like, you know, once you once you pass, once you're like, you know, you get through the defenses of the host, you're you're in it. And then, like, your your job is to pull sort of the next the next stage, the next parasite. In. But that's why I think that, you know, the scene that we mentioned earlier where they talk about the smell is so important because it, I think it reveals this sort of thing where it's like you think you're pulling off the con. You think you're passing that you wrote this dialogue, you rehearsed it. You know, you got every detail right, but there's something about your essence that you just can't shed, this essentialist thing, as, as Pete said. And I think, like, that's really what lays the groundwork. It's like if, if he hadn't said that, right, about the smell, he might not have gotten killed at the end. I feel like that that's what really sets things in motion towards this sort of fatal finale, is this sort of revelation that he saw through the, the con on some level, even if he couldn't recognize it for what it was. Right. Although it's also worth pointing out that as much as 
the Park family can claim to be kind of true residents of the house rather than false residents of the house because they don't smell like the, uh, I guess, the Kim family does. I, I, I keep mixing up the sort of performed names with the sort of given names of the characters. But um, but. The Park family also has bought a bunch of cheap, chintzy Native American uh, stuff, right? A uh, Native American kind of tchotchkes and accoutrement. And like they're wearing, when they say that, when he says it, he's wearing an, a ridiculous looking Native American headdress, which gives lie symbolically to the claim that these people have that they are the original natural occupants of this place. And this place being both the sort of space where the different social, uh, you know, the people of different social standing kind of negotiate their relationships with each other, but also this place of kind of plenty, this garden of prosperity, right? Which I could argue is is Korea, right? The house is the house is to a degree, maybe not always to 100 percent, but is symbolic of Korea in certain ways. And and these people, these sort of nouveau riche from Seoul, claim that they're the true the true sort of lords of Korea, but they're their indigeneity is entirely performed. And really, the tr- the people who created the place that they live in are dead people who came before them. And they don't understand who those people were or what yeah. those people went through. Right? And by the way, they're, Peter, they're, most- they're internationalists. They're, they're globalist cucks, right? <laughs> who, uh, who like uh, decamped to Paris or something like right. that, right? Yeah. And the most the most critical piece of that is they don't know the house like they think they do and that there's this whole secret room that they're simply not aware of. And that's what allows the parasite to really get under the skin. Right. The fact that, like, they think it's their house, but in a very significant way, the parasites understand it better than they do. Right. Right. Yeah, Can we use this opportunity to talk about the Koreanness of this? Yeah, of this re- movie? really, because like the one one question that I had, not having a knowledge of like day to day, day to day life in Seoul, right? Um, is that like to to what extent is the sort of is the presence of the North and the presence of the threat of you know of nuclear annihilation or war, you know, annihilation by war somehow, uh, just a constant presence, a constant sort of threat and a constant stress in the lives of these people, because it struck me as a really big, like the, the idea that there's a bunker there and it's just like, there, it would be normal that a rich house would have a, would have like a fallout shelter, uh, inside it. What, you know, was a, a big, uh, you know, that's a, that's a big thing if you live in, in the U S and don't really have contact with that, that kind of stress on a day-to-day basis at the moment. I'm not going to put myself out there as an expert on this, but um, from what I know, I I think it ebbs and flows um, as international tensions with uh, North Korea ebb and flow. Um, I don't think it's quite this like existential horror that hangs over in the same way that like, you know, in the United States around the Cuban Missile Crisis, everyone had to um, was trying to like dig a a fallout shelter underneath their house, that sort of thing. It's it's um, something that gets blown a little bit out of proportion in the West because that's like the crazy, extreme, exciting thing that we see going on there. I think there's more of a sense of weariness of, um, of North, of the North Korean threat and that situation and kind of like a sense of resign, uh, the the people being resigned to like, Oh, you know, they're going to do their thing every once in a while. And, you know, and they're going to cause trouble and we're never really going to reunify with them. And oh, isn't it all too bad? Again, I'm probably over overstating a lot of that, but that's kind of like my default, setting and then you know, we'll have some kind of you know variation from there um but to talk more broadly about the koreanness of this movie um i i think 
the the main thrust of this is less about the kind of threat about of nuclear annihilation and more about just like the uh, extremely unfortunate class reality that is depicted in this um, from someone I know who uh, grew up in South Korea who saw this movie. Um, she said that um, what you see there, it's not that much of an exaggeration of real life, right? The, the, the semi-basement dwellers, it's like vast uh, underclass uh, of South Korea living on the verge of poverty, um, rubbing shoulders with this globalized elite um, living this um, Gangnam style uh, uh, lifestyle. And um, for South Korean audiences, it's like it hits really close to home. It makes for a much more poignant and sad viewing experience rather than Western audiences who laugh more at this movie and um, can uh, have, are a little bit more removed from it and like can treat the whole thing as a little bit more fantastical. Um, so uh, that's for, you know, me uh, having spent some time, significant time in South Korea and um, knowing some South Koreans who've seen this movie. I don't know if did anybody, any, did any of you pick up on those, uh, that particular, the, the more poignant aspects of the movie? Or did you also find it funny? Like, were there a lot of, like, laugh-out-loud moments for you? Well, I mean, one thing that really struck me about the sort of class disparity is that, like, even though the the uh, the Kim family is sort of living in, like, you know, literally at the bottom of society, right, is living in this horrible basement apartment and, like, folding pizza boxes to eke out a living and stealing Wi-Fi, like, they're not Cletus the slack-jawed yokel. Like, the children especially are very educated uh, like the son is like a very capable tutor. The daughter is a very talented artist. And there really is like a sense that it's not it's not that they've just like grown up in poverty and like they never got an education and like don't have any skills. They have a ton of skills. They don't have any opportunity. And that strikes me as like a much grimmer situation than just like, oh, like if they had gotten a chance to like go to a good school, they would have a good future. It's like they they did they did everything right and they still don't have a chance. Yeah, that's that's again a very like specifically Korean aspect of this movie. Um, you know, there's, the Korea has an extremely high education rate, literacy rate, um, and so and there's also that ref line that uh, the father, uh, the Kim father, references uh, says that something like you know uh, a maintenance job opens up and you know, four thousand uh, college uh, graduates apply for that job. Um, there, there's a sense in South Korea that like you know um, this, these three elite universities, uh, Seoul. Korea and Yonsei University comprises Ivy League type of status, but it's like the Ivy League on steroids, um, where um, like uh, that there is a sense that like um, the top jobs in, in in society are reserved for like a very small um, thin elite, and that everyone else is kind of scraping uh, for scraps at the at at the bottom and separated from that. Um, the other thing to point out about the Koreanness of this movie and, and, and how it's very different from American depictions of class is that because Korea is such a homogenous society um, and that kind of does connect again to the high level of educational achievement uh, in, in South Korea, um, you don't have uh, what you have in American movies where uh, class struggles are often kind of overlaid and supplanted by race, uh, racial conflict. Um, so that and then it intensifies like the poignancy of this movie for South Korean audiences, which is that like, you know, these are uh, my cousins, my brothers, my sisters, my relatives. Um, you know, I have this lifestyle and they uh, are, you know, uh, having, they have, they have crap coming out of their toilet. Right. You had said something, Mark, about the way that the housekeeper addresses the hammer thrower. 
that she uses a term in Korean that has connotations that Western audiences might not pick up. Yeah, when you say the hammer thrower, you mean uh, the, so there's the, the original Korean housekeeper. Yeah. And I was trying to distinguish between the original Korean housekeeper and then the mom who becomes the second Korean housekeeper. Right, the, who who supplants her. Yeah. Um, at the when at the when the twist all comes off, right when the when the Kim family discovers a basement and the original housekeeper is trying to appeal uh, to them as a, some sense of unity of saying like you know we're we're in this together against struggling against the rich people. Um, she refers to her as Unni, um, which in the subtitles comes out as uh, big sister. Which is a literal, literally a correct translation, but the meaning that's that's not apparent there uh, for Western audiences, non Korean speaking audiences, is that that's a term of endearment used for friends, uh, close friends as well, and not just like actual literal family members. Um, so, uh, and you know, and, and broadly speaking, in, in South Korean society, then like you know, when you have that close friendship, it, it does imply that level of familiar familiarity and it, because it's a small country. Like it's not that much of a stretch to say like everyone is related, uh, which is something you can't really say in the United States because of, uh, you know, the, the, the heterogeneous, uh, racial and ethnic makeup here. Um, so that's an important linkage, uh, to the broader themes of the movie there because, um, in that moment, the housekeeper, the original housekeeper is trying to, um, establish that kind of class, um, uh, sympathy and a mutual class identity, but also fails to do it because it's a kind of an overreach at that point. And she's desperate and trying to, to establish some sort of connection and fails to do so. Right. I mean, it doesn't help in terms of that regard that because there you run in that intersectional divide, right? Because she and her husband have this whole North Korea thing going on where she's imitating the North Korean uh, news anchors and kind of spreading propaganda that she doesn't believe in kind of a performative way in the context of the movie. But the husband has gone totally deranged and worships Mr. Park as this like cult of personality figure, uh, because of course he receives according to his need in accordance with, you know, good communist ideology, the food that comes from the tables, right. From the ex, you know, the, the, uh, the common, the common and shared wealth of the country, the great leader gives me what I need to survive. And so I, adore him even though i live in this like ridiculously horrible and kind of mind-bendingly um kind of crushing circumstance and so I, part of it is that you know there's the intersection where the the north the quote-unquote north koreans right because as much as the the kim family can't get ahead because of their disadvantage they do show that they can make a lot of money using their skills right that this the idea that the society is the idea the idea that of um the society society not being the meritocracy versus kind of capitalism in general not being meritocratic is kind of not fully overlapping right because they can make money by using their skills and the free market opportunities of kind of taking advantage of the wealthy and kind of selling yourself and hustling really hustling is what i'm talking about right they're able to make money by hustling uh, so it's not like it's entirely hopeless for them to to make even more than a living, uh, to make a certain degree of luxury, right? Um, and um, and and so so there's a natural alliance between the Kims and the Parks on one hand, right? If the Parks are sort of the people who have unknowingly stepped into this notion of like we are the people who 
own Korea. And we are the people who own the house. And everything that's happening in the house is under us. And we are totally oblivious to everything that's happening, right? Like we we bought this house, we live in this house, we claim to be the masters of the house, but we don't know who lives here. We don't know what's going on. And frankly, we don't care, right? And so on one hand, you have the 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 free market hustlers who very strongly believe in their ideology and and they are beholden to the parks in one degree and want to protect the house from from the uh, basement dwellers but then you have the basement dwellers who are also loyal to the parks in their own ideology which is based off of the free food that they get which isn't gotten through commerce right and and it's so it's you've got north versus south and you've got this idea of rich and poor that all uh, that are all confounding the attempts to reconcile Right. Like the idea that the ultimate reconciliation isn't the parks necessarily being driven out of their home. It's the idea that somebody could buy the house and then invite the bunker dwellers up into the light. Right. Like the idea that when you resort to violence, you become like North Korea. Right. And then like you get brought up into the light by a sort of act of generosity, this sort of fantasy notion that some point in the far future, you know, you'll be able the people who own the house will be able to bring everybody together. Um, at that threshold, right? At that threshold with the outside, at that 38th parallel in that DMZ, right? And sort of embrace. I yeah, mean, you'll, I mean, I you'll come out of you'll come out of your, you know, brutalist cement block architecture buildings, right? And like come yeah. out and see the, you know, see the green, the lush green fields yeah. and the, the, you know, the mother, like the mother is taking pictures of the, um, mother is taking pictures of the flowers, the hammer throwing mother is taking pictures of the flowers in the garden in that uh, kind of fantasy sequence that ends the film. And uh, that it's right at the, the point where in real life, the, the father says he, he buried, the, uh, you know, buried the, the woman who got killed, who got concussed by falling down the stairs. And the, the um, but I, you know, I sort of, I read that, Pete, that final thing as uh, the the capitulation of the sun to capitalism, right? And and capitalism is the real parasite. Uh, the idea that, like, because what he ah. says, <laughs> all right, go ahead. <laughs> what he says, he does, he does another riff. It's a repetition in a different. Uh, uh, in a different register of the fantasy that they all had during their, you know, during their sort of drunken uh, camp out in the living room where like, hey, we're going to get the house and we're actually going to live in it. He has another he has another version of that, which is like. I'm going to work hard and I'm going to make money and I'm going to like play by the rules and I'm going to become a big shot, you know, and I'm going to master the game. Like rather than, you know, rather than bringing the, uh, rather than like bringing down the unjust society around me, I'm going to become so good at the society that I'm going to become, uh, one of the overlords of it. And at that point, at that point, I will be able to, at that sort of fantastical point when, where I have, you know, capitulated to the demands of the, uh, of the, the unjust culture and have risen through its ranks and, you know, have subjugated others. Like I will attain the rank of, of subjugator, at which point I will be able to, you know, to sort of rescue my father. And there's something, there's something sort of self-defeating in that because it, 
it uh, it involves this sort of it involves this capitulation, I guess, and that that was like I, I walked out of the movie. I walked out of the movie sort of overwhelmed, really dazzled, and also a little sad because I thought that that last speech, that last sort of power fantasy, which was in fact very impotent, and was like the I wasn't sure about the reality status of some of it because a lot of the the because the other voiceovers seemed to be true, and the second voiceover, the son's voiceover back to the father was fantasy. Um, And then cutting to him back down underground, this sort of like elevator shot back down to, you know, where he was uh, sitting below the, the level of the ground um, back in the, in the semi-basement, you know, his, his, his father in hiding his sister dead, uh, and you know him a criminal like that that he was going to do this was I, I don't know pretty pretty sad pretty devastating. Oh, it to is me. yeah. I think but I think the movie is more communitarian than it is anti capitalist, um, in the sense that like they do destroy the power structure. Like there is a scene in which the rich people are killed by the poor people in vengeance for their degradation and exploitation, and it results in no good at all. Like, all it does is set the father, plunge the father into the bunker, right? Like, they even do that weird, like, it's like a weird theatrical reenactment of the Korean War. It's like, we're over here. They're going to come over here. We're going to fight them, right? And it's going to be great. And he's like, this all seems pretty bad. (laughs) This whole idea of, like, armed conflict seems pretty stupid. And he's like, no, no, it's your job. You have to do it, right? But And then that's followed by the sort of... uh, the kind of um, the the you have I have nothing to lose but my chains here, so I'm going to murder you. And also the idea of like you're going to let my daughter die and save your son, and that's like the breaking point. But but the but so it's like yes, I agree with you that it's sad that the son's idea of how to fix things is probably uh, not going to happen and is a fantasy. Uh, but I also think that the idea that the movie is suggesting that the solution is to break down the capitalist structure and like cast down the capitalist parasites is like a pretty a pretty i mean a mis a misreading to the point of not watching the climactic scene of the movie where that specific thing happens right and yeah, all that then nothing, happens is yeah, the germans good. the germans take control of the house right like it's like you know what happens when that when you do that like foreigners take over <laughs> right like <laughs> When Koreans fight each other, then foreigners own Korea. Right? Yeah, like, um, I think that's well, what's I mean, so I'm also sad about the... It might also be a issue of bias, right? Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying, like, the, that final fantasy where it's, like, maybe if I work really hard and I, like, you know, open up, like, a, a, a 401k or whatever it is, that, like, <laughs> I can afford this ridiculously nice house. It's like the guy who owns that house is going to be somebody who invents a new Instagram filter. You know, that, that like, there's no working your way up from the mailroom in this society. It doesn't it, it, it doesn't work that way, like playing by the rules. And it, I think that's what's sad about it is that I think at that point in the movie, he should understand that, that like the, that the system is broken, that the ladder that will get you to that house doesn't exist. Yeah, he did suffer brain trauma. And so he like might not be That's thinking. True. Only, only somebody <laughs> with severe I mean, brain damage could believe in that keep, fantasy. Keep in mind, like. At the point that everything goes to hell, what do they have? They have access to the house. It's going to be his house because he's going to marry the girl, right? They have all the scotch. They have all the food. They have the title to the house, right? They have the ID cards of the family, right? Like, I'm just not – I'm not convinced that it's – necessarily that that the methods that the kim family are using are 
doomed to be unsuccessful in achieving wealth. I just I just think that that wealth is present is presented as a flawed solution to the problem. Right. It's it's because the problem isn't that you're the problem isn't just that you're poor, I guess, is what I'm saying. Right. Like in this movie, the problem isn't just that any one person is rich or any one person is poor. It's the failure that everybody has to, like, live together with each other. Um, I don't know. Maybe I, I, that, maybe that's just a different a different reading or a different feeling. I'm trying to think about other scenes that would ex- uh, exemplify this. Like, um, man, I guess the, the pizza box buyers would be an interesting yeah. thing to close read. I'm trying to remember exactly what they say. You know uh-huh. what I think is like an interesting detail to think about because uh, so much of the movie is about the relationship between this one family and this other family. But the instigating event of this movie is that the son has a friend who does him a huge favor and the son immediately betrays this friend, right? Because the whole thing is that like, I'm going to give you this tutoring job because I trust you. I trust you not to seduce the daughter. Um, because I, because does. I want to seduce the daughter. Yeah, no. Yeah. Okay. Right. I mean, the, right. So the, the original guy wasn't exactly like a paragon, but the whole point is that like, it's not just that the poor feel like it's okay to screw the rich is that like the Kims screw their friends as well. And I, I think that might be important is that like, it's not just that like these people deserve to be taken advantage of is that like, we will mm. take advantage of anybody we can. I, I, I see where you're going with that, but just one slight nuance correction on that is that like the, the first sin for lack of a better word, um, after um, the, the the son's friend refers into the job, is not starting to seduce the daughter. It's um, forging his credentials and trying to pass himself off as a current student at this elite university, Yonsei, um, when he's actually not that. Um, and that's uh, it's that's an important detail because. It's a in the in the scheme of everything else that happens. It's a small thing, and it's actually kind of like inconsequential, right? Like the um, the things that they go through to forge the, the the paperwork, like the the transcript or whatever documentation to pass them off as a student, doesn't matter because the the actual um, uh, the actual instigating sin is the friend making the referral, and he lied and he claimed that oh yeah my friend here he's also from Yonsei and he's good to go. Um, so he's uh, he, and between that and also like him having a crush on the teenage uh, uh, school 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 age daughter um, makes him without uh, not without guilt as well. It's interesting. Um, what do you guys think about the art therapy in terms of like people being kind of frauds? Versus kind of telling that I thought that the art therapy conversations were at first, I thought that they were funny, right? Because he's she's clearly just BSing her way through the conversations about what's wrong with the boy Um, because she's clearly a fraud. But then as it goes on, I wonder whether the art therapy conversations are supposed to be prescient or supposed to be insightful about what's happening. Um, Remind us of the the content of the conversations. So the when the sister so so the idea is and and as you as you sort of have pointed out the sister does all this forgery to represent both her brother and herself as experts right and they come into the house and I think part of it is that that reads to Western audiences as funny because the idea that someone would go to that trouble the fraudulently produce a Harvard ID is kind of silly, right? Because a Harvard ID wouldn't really be worth that much to you. Nobody would ask for it. But in Korea, it seems like that kind of document would actually be worth quite a bit. In in America, you would just lie on your resume and maybe you would get caught. Maybe you wouldn't. Um, and then 
and then and then she has the conversation with the mom where she says that the son is both a genius, right? That the son is a genius and that the son is deeply troubled because something happened to him in first grade. And she says that there's a region in his paintings that is schizophrenic, right? Like that that the schizo region of the of the art, right, is is here. And um and it shows his sort of inner conflict and pain. And she says, well, did something happen to him in first grade? And of course, what happened to him in first grade is he saw the guy who lives in the cellar, right? Like, so the little kid who it's like, well, sometimes he just stands and looks and looks at the sky, right? And it's presented in the moment as like, well, yeah, because he's a child. He, sometimes children just look at things because they haven't seen them before, right? Like, it's it's not like rocket science and and uh, rich moms will worry about anything because the actual threats that they uh, should be using their resources to contain are generally contained, right? It's like, well, the kid isn't probably isn't going to starve, right? So, like, let's worry about whether, you know, he's he has some sort of strange affectation. Um, and and but but the kid actually is seeing something, right? The kid is seeing the Morse code messages that are being sent to him by the guy in the basement. Right. And so the it's sort of like this idea that this sort of future, the future of Korea is kind of aware that something is wrong and has a sort of split personality about itself and is and is communicated in this sort of schizo effective way. But it also has this like great creativity, uh, you know, the idea of like, oh, is that a chimpanzee? No, it's a self-portrait. Right. Oh, so the kid is drawing himself as deeply conflicted about the experience that he had when he realized that his society is divided. Right. So, so Pete, are, um, you, are you saying that you believe the children are the future? <laughs> Teach them well and let them sleep in the yard. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I think that the kid is, 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 uh, it just seems like he's a little on the nose, right? It's like, uh, as in like, like it's presented as a joke that he, is a sort of uh, I'm trying to think of the right kind of movie trope that this kid is like the sort of too smart kid, like the Simon Birch of the movie who will like utter pearls of truth, except he has no scenes where he actually like stands there like a moppet and speaks wisdom to the camera because he's always kind of in the periphery and nobody really cares what's happening to him. Yeah, um, I, mean, I, I thought yeah. that that where they were going was that like the mom, because she's like a privileged mom, is convinced that her kid's a genius. and He's actually just going to be like a spoiled brat who's yeah. just completely insufferable. And I, I like the twist where it turns out that like, oh wait, the kid actually is traumatized. He actually is seeing things. And it's not it's not just the mom being like a, you know, a, I don't know if there's a psychological version of hypochondria. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, this you get the sense that this is the kind of mom who would totally like buy essential oils to try to cure like her son's nervous tension, right? Like she would totally like she would totally go down. She would totally ride the goop train all the way to the terminus. The Um, the mom's an interesting character. We haven't talked a lot about her, but she's like, you know, I think before we even meet her, she's described. She's like, so there's she's simple, right? There's something there's something off about her. And then what's the very first appearance is that like she's like passed out. Right. She's she's passed out. and The housekeeper has to wake her up to make the initial introduction. Right. Yeah, and is 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 I guess is the implication that she's day drinking or that she's just sort of like, literally just sort of like asleep, in the middle of the day, just in her front lawn. It, it's open to all sorts of interpretation, right? Um, she's a little off. It's it's almost like she's the supposed to be the immune system for the sort of the host, and she's weak, 
And because of that, everyone can just slide through because she's she's this gullible, weak link that like allows them. We're just like all the other rich families have sort of savvier wives that like they would never fall for the scam. I do wonder whether there's like an anti-Western kind of gender critique happening where like the mom of the rich family has been given this sort of gender role where she doesn't do anything important except for dress in fancy clothes and like talk to her friends about going back and forth to Europe and like and like um, live this sort of fancy schmancy lifestyle. Whereas the lower class women are both like very capable and very savvy and smart and in fact strong. Right. Like I think is she supposed to be a silver medalist from the Seoul Olympic Games in 1988, was it? Um, uh, maybe I'm not I mean, I'm just thinking about whether the Olympics loom as large in Korea as they do is still in Barcelona. Um because I was just there and, and and they were talking about it. But but anyway, um, this idea that like that, like she has this sort of fainting aspect when they see her, which I associated more with uh, kind of Victorian corset wearing oxygen deprivation and Freudian hysteria, hysteria the, um, theory. Right. This notion that women are kind of intrinsically delicate which is like very much what I would if I were to look at the the movie as sort of a little bit of a of a hagiography for the national character of Koreans saying that like you they are smart and capable and strong and they can fix problems even when they're bad they're formidable right like the Korean woman is a capable person who can who can like steer a family right or or um you know hatch a plan right is is not she's not some like wilting flower um, although maybe I'm just like reaching here because I was looking for, again, it seems like there's a lot of interpretation. So I'm trying to find one that makes sense. But again, I'm relying on my own biases to kind of, uh, pick a narrative that, that fits for me. Yeah, so I'm it not is, sure. I mean, it is interesting how the lack of, uh, the lack of cultural context, right? Like re- is sort of, uh, uh, throws into relief the kind of the reader response the the kind of the authority of interpretive communities right is what yeah. stanley fish would say how how you know the range of possible readings is is constrained um or is you know is determined by uh where you come from and like what you know like the the um yeah what the what the sort of prejudices yeah. of your interpretive community are yeah I mean, she is open Gangnam style, though, mm. right? That's um, <laughs> I mean, no, not quite. She's a little bit. She's a little bit burby, a little bit suburban. She's not really <laughs> happening. So. I, I know that's a throwaway reference to Gangnam style, by the way. Um, but let, I'm going to tease that out for just a hot second here because please do, please do. Both that song Gangnam Style and um, this movie Parasite are really interesting examples of like auteur creator create creation and creatorship in South Korean culture, um, which are not at all typical of like the dominant culture, the, the, sorry, the um, uh, commercially dominant uh, export commercial cultural export from South Korea, which is K-pop, right? K-pop is, is notoriously corporate and factory. Like it's like every individual aspect of that of artists is like um, sanded down and uh, pushed to the side and, and, and packaged, repackaged in something that is um, like laser targeted for a maximum uh, commerciality. Um, Sai, the singer of Gangnam Style, is not a product of that culture. Um, he's really his own thing. And uh, Bong Joon-ho as well, like is uh, is 
like a really great example of a tour filmmaker, I think, um, as opposed to like, you know, the sort of like the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, movie by committee sort of thing. Sorry, that's like uh, I just wanted to put that interesting idea out there. Um, it's not quite here nor there, but uh, back to the movie. Who's got something interesting to say about the movie? Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I find that sort of interesting. Like it's. It's sort of fun, right, to be in the presence of an honest, honest to blog uh, avant garde, you know. And it's something that that I don't. And and again, maybe this is my this is my sort of prejudice uh, as an American, kind of, and and as a, a certain kind of, you know, uh, a certain kind of like eight dollar coffee swilling uh, American elitist. Um, coming to the fore here but like because because maybe it's not maybe there's there's some way in which it you know maybe maybe there's some way but i i mean i was struck by the number of people involved in sort of making or financing this movie right as opposed to since you bring up the the marvel cinematic universe mark like as opposed to like one corporation like one corporation didn't make this movie right this this movie was a uh was the product of a like um producers-esque, you know, convoluted, uh, set of people, um, you know, raising, raising money to, to, to make the film. And you, you always know in, in those, in those cases, you're, you're in the presence of sort of art cinema because like art cinema is made by, it's made by a, a singular, uh, vision a lot of the time, a singular artistic vision, but very often a, a kind of like a coalition, like, uh, takes a village, you know, it's like a, it's like a, uh, it's like a trendy American political campaign where they only accept small donors, uh, that, um, that produces these kinds of things. And so that, like, that was the signal to me watching the credits, watching the whole crawl that like tipped me off that this was oh this is actually uh, sort of an artsy thing because of the way it seemed to be financed by a, like a, a large number of people coming together to to sort of contribute and to um contribute and to make it happen as we're closing uh today it seems it seems um like an okay time to reflect on the the trend um because i think it is that in 2019 movies and tv shows about wealth disparity right like uh there have been there have been a lot of them focused on you know working class struggles or focused on like the the uh ills the ill doings and the kind of the sins of the elite uh that that um people are you know uh and and the the sort of the the mores of the upper class of of wealthy people kind of mocked um you know, this isn't, uh, this film wasn't succession, but it, or, you know, billions and that it, it doesn't share the same, you know, aspects of like, uh, theft and kind of over criminality or, or, you know, whatever among the, the, uh, upper classes, I guess that's, that's all displaced onto the lower classes here who are literally murderers. But, um, you know, but I don't know. It share. It seems to share a certain DNA. The, the you know anti uh, uh, anti rich people uh, storytelling seems to be having a moment. Is there anything that we make of that? Um, given the current you know given the current climate and the the political situation in the United States, uh, Pete, you unmuted. What do you think? <laughs> well, I was going to ask what Belinky thought because Belinky thought saw Knives Out. 
which I think is the probably the movie that has the most interesting contra not contrary but kind of like parallel but not exactly the same social perspective as as parasite i mean because i'm curious to hear because i want to see knives out so please don't spoil it just yet but uh um if you could tell me matt if you had any sort of uh, reaction to seeing knives out and and parasite in such close uh close uh succession as it were one after the other I mean, I, I think one thing I really appreciated about Parasite is it, it was a little more nuanced than, like, rich people bad and deserve to be punished, um, which I think is, like, what a lot – I mean, obviously, I don't want to I don't want to simplify things that I really enjoy, like Secession or Joker or anything, but I think, like, there there is a certain stock horribleness to some of the rich people we've seen recently, and Knives Out is very – like – Knives Out is playful with the tropes, but it does sort of dabble in these tropes about like rich people squabbling over inheritances and really just sort of being out for themselves and feeling like they're better than poor people and like treating servants like trash and all that. Um, and I feel like this movie, while um, the parks are certainly not like paragons of virtue and are comical and unlikable in a lot of ways, um, everybody is comical and unlikable in a lot of ways. And I feel like there there's a certain reciprocity to the the sort of uh, the flaws of the characters. I did. I mean, one one while I was watching it, you know, there's that incredibly striking scene where they escape the house after like a really tense night in which they're near discovery so many times and they flee back down to the lowest social strata into the flood, into the, into the sewage. Um, and like while they're descending, it, it reminded me of the, the sort of iconic scene from Joker, right? Which is where the Joker finally makes his apotheosis and descends the staircase to the glorious signs of a uh, Gary glitters rock and roll part two. Is it part two or part three? <laughs> that's right there's a question that we didn't, just laughing. Like, right? there's a there's a question nobody will hold you accountable for but uh which is what yeah. what rock and roll part is the famous rock and roll part that i didn't even with? know that there were other parts that mattered i know that there was that this was one of the parts but is like is this like a case like america the beautiful where there's like 15 different parts that all have like slightly different lyrics it's like like ole yeah it's like nobody cares about mambo's one through four we just yeah, care that, about what he gets right yeah yeah, yeah. um so, yeah so of course like the big difference is like in joker descending the staircase is this triumphant moment because it in that movie it's it's the metaphor is a little different that climbing the staircase is what you do because you're poor and you're beaten down and it's this it's this trudge that like the you know the joker character wishes he could live at the bottom of the staircase right he would love to live in the sub basement but he's at the top which means he's got to climb all the stairs um whereas in this movie it's it's very like the, the metaphor is much more clear which is that like living up is better than living down because down is where everything flows and where, like, you're literally – your possessions are literally drowning in sewage when you get home. Yeah. There are two other uh, movies about – that are largely concerned with kind of backlash against the idea of wealth disparity that I'll, that I'll cite as other other models of this or other modes, other other facets of the moment. Uh, one is Ford versus Ferrari, uh, Ford v. Ferrari, which we haven't talked about in the podcast, um, which is about – the, the degree of Ford v. Ferrari that is about class is about – 
the kind of internalization of behavior that supports the uh, kind of social structure, right? And the idea that if you're a very talented person and capable person, but you aren't able to perform, right, in the way that kind of the corporation needs you to or expects you to in order for, you know, to sort of support the corporation's goals, then you get crapped on. And so Ford versus Ferrari is about two guys who are friends, and one of them is able to perform the way the corporation wants them to, and one of them is not. And the way that they each kind of search for how they help each other in that context. So it's again, it's not a it's not a movie about storming the Bastille. It's about Le Mans, which is you know a pretty expensive place to be, regardless. But this idea that like the real plight of the people who aren't the elite is that their talent and their ability to actualize themselves is limited because they don't perform in certain specific irrelevant ways, right? That that the elite expect of them in order to pay them fairly for their work or give them, in this case, give them the opportunity to follow their calling, uh, right? And like, I think that uh, Parasite is like this too, where the girl should be an artist. She should be a great artist because she's got tons of talent and she's got the technical skills to use the software and everything, right? Um, but she can't be because the way that she lives puts her outside of that kind of social, that social proof mechanism, right? The the sort of self-reinforcing social proof mechanism and the notion that at some point in the past, the umbrella was a little bit wider under which this kind of mechanism uh, uh, existed. And now it's it's gotten narrower and it's harder to be uh, kind of uh, empowered by the opportunities around you uh, in, in the freedoms you're afforded to fully realize your talents. So that's one dimension. And then the other one is Detective Pikachu, which is also a movie about class consciousness, uh, which we did talk about in the podcast, which is about the wealthy and their sort of Bezosian quest for immortality and kind of uh, transcendence. Like Detective Pikachu is more about the singularity and the idea that the rich become so rich that they lose connection with the concerns of pretty much everybody else. And uh, that this quest, be, as income inequality becomes so staggering, the priorities of the rich become the priorities of society, and the detachment of the rich leads to society having entirely detached priorities from the things that would benefit you know, pretty much everybody living in it. Like in Detective Pikachu, the idea of taking everybody's brain and putting it inside a Pokemon using a Pokemon Ray, that won't help anybody. I mean, yeah, sure, you might be cool to be a Pokemon, but like, you know, it, it, nobody asked for it. Nobody wants it. You know, the thing that you want is to be able to bond with your dad whose consciousness is trapped inside a Pokemon. And so like the this idea that the rich have become this sort of weird, inhuman thing. Right. That they are they are so enmeshed with the technology that enable their sort of scalable wealth that that they've just completely lost any sort of relation to what regular people, quote unquote, care about is another dimension of it. And and in this case, it's it's something like uh, I think I think that Parasite dwells on this a little bit, too, with the frivolity of the parks. And particularly we talked a little bit about the mom, but particularly how the dad is presented as somebody who is competent, unlike the mom, at doing his job, 
but is a real space cadet in ways that are kind of tricky, right? Then his sort of his sort of uh, his saying like, well, you're across the line and you're not across the line. And, you know, the way that you talk isn't across the line, but the way that you smell is across the line. And just what is the line? Right. Like, uh, I mean, Bill Nye does us a favor by saying the line is I'm going to put my brain inside Mewtwo and blow up the city and whatnot. But like here, it's a little bit more uh, complicated. So, um, yeah. So I would say that, like, while there are a lot of movies and stories out there that are talking about this sort of wealth disparity, it is kind of exciting and refreshing that they're finding different ways to talk about it. And Parasite might be one of the most nuanced and interesting of those ways. It just has so much. To, and even the fact that us, you know, who, who us, you know, here on this call, who shared so much time with each other and so much experience with each other, come to different conclusions about what the movie is saying, I think is a sign that it's engaging with a sophisticated conflict in a sophisticated way, while also being a pretty fun and thrilling sort of story with a lot of moments that are exciting uh, and uh, and sad if, if they strike close to home and satirical if they don't. So hmm. I thought so, Pete, I thought you were name checking the movie Us there. Oh, for, for us like, well, you're one. actually referring to to us, the, the, the four of us on the podcast. But um, a, 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 apropos of the mention of the movie Us, yes, I suppose all of us are also uh, <laughs> complicit in our own ways in driving income inequality. Um, and then we are, like I said before, like we you know the parasite is us. Uh, um, that much, that much is clear. Wait, when you say us is, is the film us by Jordan P is that the parasite that is oh, that I, the I, action? I mean, I'm sure that too, right? When you I say mean, us? Ask, all, ask, ask all the people who worked on craft services for that movie. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, well, uh, let's um, let's let uh, many more interpretations bloom in the in the uh, fetid sewage <laughs> that, undergird, that undergirds our society, and yet fertilizes so many interesting plants that that spring up in in the yard of the parks. So uh, head to the comments and let us know what you thought uh, of Parasite, what you think of uh, you know of a um, you know eat the rich style takedown of of global capital. Capitalism and its, you know, uh, uh, its capacity to usher in a socialist utopia that lasts a thousand years, or you know, anything else that you want in the comment section for this episode. Can't wait to see you next week. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve. deserve.